We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McCagney, joined by Mario Puig. Mario, I am back from ba- from vacation. Uh, so I'm, I'm back that? in the saddle. Uh, it was great. Uh, girlfriend and I went back to uh, the D.C. area. Um, we went to Annapolis. Uh, Annapolis is an awesome, you know, little kind of coastal town. It's where the capital is of, of Maryland, the oldest uh, operating state house. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful town there, and yeah, went went around to different spots in Georgetown and D.C. and you know just kind of kind of did it up for a week, and you know I didn't worry about work for a week. I listened to exactly zero podcasts, so my brain feels healthy, and now I feel ready to roll. Like now I'm I'm like fully locked in uh, as like the calendar moves forward and sports are like officially back. Oh, nice. That's good for you, I guess. I've been spending that time just cramming my brain with poison good so uh yeah it's uh i've been watching tv shows too though i've I've been doing that and i started a video game which is very exciting for me but uh yeah all all that stuff about uh, fulfilling life experience or whatever you were doing sounds cool too i guess (laughs) it is all right i suppose um and yeah that i mean that was the extent of it uh had some it was weird like flying for the first time during you know since all of this happened. Um, I think everyone was pretty good about like wearing, wearing masks and whatnot, but, um, like we had to like connect in O'Hare kind of business as usual there. Like everyone's wearing masks, but like the, the crowds were about the same as they ever were. Uh, the plane, they let you move around a little bit. Um, if, uh, if there are like rows available, they'll, they'll like understand that you want to like social distance and stuff. But I, I still think that they, I, in an ideal world, the, the, airline companies would prefer to have their uh, planes full, which it, I don't think is a great idea right now, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, funny thing, massive consolidations of capital tend to want more all the time, uh, no matter what the repercussions are in the process. So 
yeah, those those uh, those spacious flights are probably a thing of, of a limited timeline. That's that's probably going to get turned into uh, what is it like barge uh, kind of packed in. It's, it's going to be like uh, the, the back of Snowpiercer probably within a week. Oh, great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, travel in the age of Corona. Um, really, really fun. I totally uh, recommend it. But uh, before uh we dive into today's show. Going to give a brief overview. Um, and again, our podcast is brought to you by Dynasty Owner and our friends over at FanDraft. Uh, great stuff uh, from both of those guys. Uh, we'll hear for, from them a little bit more later on in the show. But we're going to get into some backfield situations with, between the the Bucks um, and the Rams with, with some newsy stuff coming out about both of them. And then we're going to dive into Mario's uh, most recent article breaking down the Chiefs passing game situation beyond uh, Tyreek Hill um, and Travis Kelsey. Um, but Thursday morning, uh, Jenna Lane, uh, the Bucks reporter over at ESPN, very plugged in, very uh, established reporter, gave her 53-man breakdown uh, projection for uh, this Buccaneers roster and turned a lot of heads. I think there was a lot of um, discussion on Twitter Thursday morning about what it what it all meant when uh, this quote uh, about Ronald Jones in this backfield goes as such. Jones will serve as the first and second down back, while Agumbawale will handle third down, and Vaughn will serve as a backup. Um, so I think that that definitely raised some eyebrows with you know especially uh, these two players. They're not going as compact in ADP as they were, you know, a month ago or so, but they're going about uh, 16 picks apart. I think it, according to data over the last week or so, Ronald Jones going around pick 72, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn pick 89 or so. This could shake some things up, but, um, you yeah. know, if, if people, you know, maybe aren't keeping their eyes on, on the prize and are getting fixated on, on the wrong thing. Yeah, I would guess Ronald Jones's ADP is going to jump now in light of this and, that's uh, I don't know. I we'll, we'll see what it means. I guess in the long run, if it happens, but it could be unfortunate for the the Ronald Jones shares potential out there, just because he was was going at a reasonable price. I think is is currently even up until now going at a reasonable price, and now if the price jumps too much, like if people start taking him over, I don't know, uh, you know, guys like. Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift and stuff like that, Devin Singletary. It's like maybe that's getting a little too aggressive and putting kind of like an unfair expectation on Jones. But I think we might see that now just because of this report. And I don't think it's re- I don't think it's correct to to react too much to this report. Like I think it's just one of those things where, uh, particularly since this is a beat reporter rather than a pundit, they're, they're probably going to imagine themselves being more like a fair. Uh, impartial just aggregator of truth and when you approach journalism that way you you're less likely to take the liberty of predicting change so i think jenna lane as much as she's you know certainly plugged in with the team i don't know if it's really in the nature of someone in her position to to even try to figure out where this is going i like to her and, and reporters like her, like her job might just be to, to describe objectively, like Jones is probably the starter because he was here first. And Dario Gumbawale was the third down guy last year. So he is that until some further notice. And it's not my place to issue it. So I think that's how people should take an article like this. I don't think they should view it as like insider information because I don't think it was meant to portray that even. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. And, and Keyshawn Vaughn will be the third running back. But I feel totally f- free and, and safe and saying no way it's not happening so i think that Keyshawn vaughn um is is probably a candidate for a gumball wally snaps uh, specifically for the pass catching purposes because that would allow them to get the best of both worlds from ronald jones and Keyshawn vaughn it's like you get R- ronald jones and all his raw running ability without any of the the downside of maybe his deficient pass blocking if he is deficient as a pass blocker which i don't i don't even know if that's a given um, but even if he is, then then Vaughn can get upwards of 400, 450 snaps just playing some of the Peyton Barber share and the Agumba Wally share from last year, and it would still leave Jones for 500 plus snaps. Yeah, I think that the, those are really important distinctions. Obviously, Peyton Barber being gone, that leaves up 347 snaps uh, for grabs. And we were talking about this um, on the XM show, but when it comes to Agumba Wale, you know, swallowing up 367 snaps a year ago, that probably has more to do with 
the Bucks just simply being light on legitimate NFL running backs in their backfield. Yeah. Uh, th- then well, him... they had Peyton Barber starting, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, see? It's really bad. So, again... It, uh, I gotta say, like that. There's probably this is probably the only team in the NFL where Agumba Wale would have seen, you know, even close uh, to that level of work, 367. And, and you know, I think you brought up a good point too. Like, you know, even on the Dolphins, like Patrick Laird, a better pass catcher than Agumba Wale, so he probably wouldn't have even gotten that if he was on the Dolphins. And I think that 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 is kind of generally considered one of the worst backfield of all time so um point being uh agumba wale you know don't take uh the this report as doctrine because you know i think once vaughn shows up and, and training camp gets underway it's it'll be pretty obvious that that you know he is more effective on a per snap per rep basis than, than agumba wale and agumba wale um you know it's not like the bucks are super invested in him so they don't need to like force him onto the field Right, definitely. So last year, Dario Gumbawale caught 76.1% of his targets at 6.2 yards per target. And that was in an off, completed 60.6% of its attempts at 8.1 yards per attempt. So yeah, he outplays the catch rate by uh, 16, 15, but the yards per target and the yards per attempt disparity is still a little bit more. It's like it's 1.8 yards uh, sorry, 1.9 yards, and so this is this is not a exact science that I use when I talk this way, but to me that's below baseline production because I kind of I, ca- I kind of call 10 points in the completion rate uh, analogous more or less to one full yard disparity in, in the uh, yards per target, yards per attempt. So I view that as below baseline. What a gumbo Wally did, like if he caught instead of. 76% of his targets, if he had caught, uh, I guess it would have been like 79, 80% or something like that, that would have been a little different. But 76% caught at 6.2 yards per target is not useful and therefore should be easily outdone if Keyshawn Vaughn is anywhere near as good as they think he was when they spent a third round pick on him. Yeah, the you know the 76% catch rate for a running back, that's barely, barely above average. That's 51th uh, percentile. So really... Uh, you know the efficiency really isn't there and like you said when when the yards per um target that he's getting is is well below the offense's baseline and he's not really even that efficient as a pass catcher to begin with uh you know the, those end up being you know the quote-unquote like the empty calorie type of plays yeah and i think particularly in an offense where the defense is running downfield with chris godwin and mike evans right off the snap and, and i guess brashad perriman right after the snap Daria Gumbawale should have been in position where he's catching passes with room to run. And after the catch last year, he generated 6.2 yards per catch, which was 15th percentile among running backs. So he's he's got reliable hands, it seems like. And I, I would imagine the reason Bruce Arians took a liking to Gumbawale is because he's probably studious and smart worker. And he'll, he'll be in the place you tell him to at the time you tell him to be there. But in terms of actually taking the football and doing anything with it, we're, I think, already seeing reason why he was a walk-on at Wisconsin and undrafted as as a rookie prospect rather than someone of Keyshawn Vaughn's sort of history. Um, let's, you know, I think you touched on on an important point there, and you know, regarding the the context of this offense a year ago, um, where you had defenses having to, you know, account for three, you know, big deep threats in Evans, Godwin, and Perriman, and they had uh, Jameis Winston pulling the trigger, obviously, and, and pushing the ball down the field. I, I I don't have the number right in front of me, but I, I think he was at the top or very close to it in terms of average depth of throw. So if you're if you're Agumbawale and you're still not generating that much yardage after catch despite all the space that's being provided to you uh, via the threats that the other receivers are providing what happens if this if the field shrinks a little bit for this offense this year where where you know there's Arians talking about the the two tight end base again I don't know if I fully buy that they're going to be in that at all times but um, it's certainly something that 
you know, they could do. They have two very legitimate startable uh, tight ends. Um, and they have Tom Brady throwing at a guy who on the opposite end of the average depth of throw spectrum from Jameis Winston. So there could be less room for these uh, like backfield pass catchers to operate this year because, you know, the, the field is a little bit shrunk with, with the current constraints. Yeah, I can't claim to know how much this Buccaneers offense is going to look like the Josh McDaniels, Tom Brady offense. If there is a such thing possible as the Tom Brady, Bruce Arians offense, I can hardly imagine what it looks like to me. Those sound like almost opposites, but it's it's possible that it could or I mean, it's it's very likely that it'll be less downfield oriented than it was under Winston, like you said, because he's he just loves to ch- and Brady does not. Brady would rather uh, not throw an interception. Uh, so he, he has a different approach, and that approach invites the safeties forward and, and maybe takes less room for, for a gumbo wall to run after the catch than he would in the same scenario last year. With that said, there is a chance that a gumbo wall could get kind of like those James White kind of plays, and if he does, maybe he'll be a little better than that, at that than he was doing what he did last year. I just don't think that seems likely, and I don't think it seems probable enough to be actionable in any way. I, I feel like the, the objectively medium range assumption here is that Agumba Wale gets his snap count at least reduced by like 160 down to 200 or something like that because they they could probably justify keeping him on the roster and active on game days as you know if if Vaughn gets hurt if Jones gets hurt we're glad to have someone who knows what he's doing rather than a you know a rookie who doesn't um but you know Raymond Clay is still there he was their seventh round pick out of Lafayette in in this last draft and if he profiles for any kind of work, it's probably more along the lines of what a Gumba Wally did in this offense last year. So I feel like there's a few ways that a Gumba Wally could lose. I don't see any realistic way he could win in this. And uh, as much as he might stick around on the team, I just I just think if Keyshawn Vaughn is anything like what they thought he was, then he profiles particularly well for a lot of the stuff that a Gumba Wally had last year. So uh, there's a lot of ways it could work. One thing I want to mention, it wouldn't be that surprising to me if if they really do use a two tight end base, but a lot of it is just O.J. Howard split out wide at receiver, mm-hmm. which actually sounds like a really good idea to me. And I kind of wish Arians had already tried it because he was literally faster than Mike Evans. Like, he runs a faster 40 than Mike Evans does. Um, and obviously, if you if you have O.J. Howard out on a 5-10 corner uh, in the run game, he could just murder that guy. Yep. So they could do stuff like that and still meet the definition of two tight end. Um, I just don't think that whichever way it breaks, that it'll ever be to a Gumbel Wally's benefit. No. So don't, uh, don't, you know, fall for the cheese there. Um, because yeah, there, there's a lot of ways that, that, you know, the bottom falls out as far as his snap count, as far as his workload is concerned. And then, like you said, if, if Vaughn is, you know, even 80% what, what we think he's going to be, um, then, you know, he's going to come in and command well over 300 snaps, uh, just from the jump, just, you know, again, with, with Barber's snaps up for grabs. And then in addition to that, you know, him just giving more valuable reps, uh, than, than a Wale, it should be, you know, set up to where it's, it's Jones and it's Vaughn and, and both of them, uh, you know, end up returning some value at their respective ADPs. And now that, now that they are a little bit more spread out, um, I, I think that the, there's a general opinion now forming about, uh, what this backfield looks like. I, I still feel like in looking at some of these other crowded backfields that, that have question marks, the Ravens one with, with Dobbins and and Mark Ingram is a tough one to figure out, and and uh, the Miami one, um, you know, with, with Breda and and with Jordan Howard is also uh, tough to figure out. Yeah, it's like sometimes you you get those guys lining up in a similar range of the ADP, and sometimes your stacking and pairing interests can make the choice for you. Uh, but the way it's looking with Jones and Vaughn right now, and this is so weird for me. I was all about, well, I wasn't exactly a Ronald Jones buyer coming out of the draft, but I, I definitely had the the position, if I'm buying one of these two Tampa Bay running backs, it's definitely Jones. That was just more so because he was the cheaper one of the two at the time. But Vaughn's price falling about three rounds, and, and especially if Jones goes higher now because of the, the General Lane article, all of a sudden, somehow, over the course of like six weeks, I've gone from like the Keyshawn Vaughn hater to number one Keyshawn Vaughn super fan I've got the, I've got the pennant out that says Keyshawn Vaughn on it you know like Homer uh so it's it's a strange uh it's been a strange few months and and this is 
uh, an underrated reason why for me. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely been interesting to because there was so much uh, Vaughn hype coming coming out of the draft because everyone just kind of circled the Buccaneers as like that backfield. Whoever gets drafted by by them is going to be my guy just because they're, they're so tired of of Ronald Jones already after just yeah. two years. <laughs> that was that was so funny how much of the argument for Vaughn was like because I don't like Ronald Jones. It seriously well, though. Okay, it's like you're free to go on it like that. I I I won't try to stop you. But I'll, uh, for the record, I, I'll try to look at something else before I make my decision. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, let's move on over to the Rams and, and get into this backfield a little bit. Um, there, there's some some newsy nuggets coming out where where McVeigh. Uh, kind of referred to you know his ideal plan for this upcoming season in his view of the backfield being a, a bit of a running back uh, by committee. So y- your thoughts on, on the fallout uh, there? Let yeah on McVeigh's thoughts and then like the kind of prevailing thoughts in the fantasy community. Well, it seemed like people, uh, other than kind of like the first half hour after that report started circulating, it seems like people stopped freaking out about it at that point. Sometimes. Uh, like we just talked about with the Ronald Jones thing. And sometimes when these reports come out, people just become hysterical. Like they just go cuckoo bird loony and, and just overreact to things. They they start seeing signs where there are none that they, they basically lose touch with reality. Luckily, I think most people didn't quite do that with acres in, in this report from McVeigh because uh, it was probably the John Kelly part of it. That was the tell, right? Like we, you might've gotten a little spooked if he was like, I think I'm going to split the carries evenly between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson this year because that is something that someone could buy more or less. Or you know, you can you can kind of start seeing the reasoning for it. If if Sean McVay, by all accounts, a, a uniquely smart offensive coach, says that he's going to try to make like a four way split that includes John Kelly, you can probably conclude that he doesn't really mean what he's saying, or to the extent that he he means what he says, he's just talking talking about something different than what we what we have in mind what we're looking for mm-hmm. we're asking him just sean who's gonna get carries and he being a football coach who has to make a game day active list and exclude eight players from his roster coaches tend to put a lot more like they they start to consider it a running back by committee if they have three or more guys active on game day and especially if three or more guys see so much as one snap on offense, like they start to consider it a running back by committee because to them it's that one rep on offense that constitutes it. They don't, they don't call it a running back by committee only when the the third guy gets to 80 carries or something like that. They'll call it a running back by committee. If, if that third guy plays a hundred snaps this year. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, like if if he had excluded Kelly and said just Henderson and Brown might factor in, I might have been a little more spooked for Acres. But to me, it was just a classic case of a coach just uh, probably not. He was probably just offering a non-committal generality uh, to just kind of like answer the question and throw a couple bones to his backups. Who who he probably you know he's probably earnestly happy with the way that Brown and, and Kelly work in practice, so he doesn't want to like bash them or anything. But he's not giving them the keys to the offense, at least not be, not over a statement like this. No, def- yeah, definitely. You know, important to note that yeah, this is just kind of a pre-training camp, like a little lay of the land. They're replacing Todd Gurley. They got a lot of kind of unknowns there, so of course he's not going to like hitch his wagon to to Cam Akers, uh, you know, to the media uh, right out of the gate like that before we even uh, get on the field. Um, but you know, we, we were talking about Ronald Jones for for a minute earlier and just how like. There, there are people that are Vaughn fans almost by virtue of just being uh, over Ronald Jones, and I, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if Daryl Henderson kind of carries a similar vibe in the fantasy community, where like people were going nuts on, on him. You know, they were they were counting on Gurley exploding uh, last year, and not in the good way, um, like more in like the Spinal Tap drummer way. Um, so they drafted Henderson really high. His his ADP got super bloated, and then he obviously had about as invisible of a rookie year as you're going to get, especially for someone that that whose ADP settles as high as high as it does, or as high as it did. Um, so looking at him uh, for this year, he's going you know and probably deservedly like well behind um, Acres in drafts. Yeah. But what do you make of him? Because I think that there was legit reason to 
believe it, believe in him last year. It just it it went you know basically like the zero percentile range of outcomes for him. But I think that there's a lot uh, to Darrell Henderson to to actually like. Yeah, I was definitely among those who was too high on him going into last year. Uh, kind of ironically, though, I I was kind of spared from myself because his price got so out of hand going into like the sixth, seventh round range that even I said, oh, that's a bit too much for me. If he had stayed more in that eighth, ninth round range, I probably would have made my season much worse for myself because I would have kept buying him there. So I, I dodged a bullet there, but not because I deserved to. So maybe, maybe that's the only reason why I'm able to to not be so bitter about Henderson. Uh, I, Jones was pretty similar to that too. Like I feel like people were taking him in like the fifth round, and even even in his rookie year, people were taking him in like the sixth or seventh or something. And then he's just a scratch all year. So uh, I, I guess I guess people sh- shouldn't be able uh, people shouldn't have quite as much reflexive hate for Daryl Henderson, and yet. Yeah, it's like no one wanted anything to do with him. And, and, you know, I guess I'm part of the problem. I didn't have any Henderson shares, but it, it felt like I or I felt like I wanted to get him a couple times. It was just that I guess I was targeting quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends in that range more than running backs. It's not like I remember really taking another running back over a Henderson a whole bunch. But, uh, yeah, he was just totally forgotten even in the past week when I feel like there's a little there's been a little bit more discussion about him, a little more recognition for Henderson in the past week or so. And yet still 138 on NFFC, uh, uh, 140.6 in, in the ADP. So uh, late 11th round. I feel like that is a little higher than it was a couple months ago. I, I can't really look this up, but I feel like he was falling until the 13th pretty commonly a couple months ago. Which, if you're letting him fall that far, you basically believe he will never play unless Cam Akers gets hurt. Which, I certainly never believed that. I thought, uh, you know, Henderson's going to do something. There's no way he has a second season similar to his first. Uh, but as as much as I feel that way, I'm also still pretty spooked by the way his rookie year went. Sure. Just because, it, I, like, I think what happened is he had some trouble picking up some of the specific run blocking concepts that they use. And it was just easy for it to go wrong for him at that point, because Malcolm Brown is super polished in the offense. And I think people like me included might've overlooked Malcolm Brown a little bit. Like he's not, he's definitely not a starting caliber running back and he's, he might even be sub replacement level as a backup, but for the Rams, he knows the way they do things and he's, he, he can do some things at least. So uh, he was not a true zero. Like, like I, like I probably w- believed uh, as recently as, you know, winter of, of 20, uh, 2019 or whatever. But I think, I think that uh, still when you even look at the tape that, that Daryl Henderson put up the, the little bit of tape that he did, he showed some of the things that you expected to see. And he had a couple games there where he went over double digit carries before he had his, uh, he had some kind of injury thing, and then at the end of the year he had a high ankle sprain that that uh, required surgery actually, which he's supposed to be fine from uh, recovering from. But yeah, I always thought you know, if if Todd Gurley's a 220 carry running back in this offense, then Acres is probably like a 180, 190 carry running back, and Henderson gets I don't know 60 carries, like at least a Duke Johnson kind of role, something okay. like that. And uh, yeah, his his ADP for a long time didn't even give him that much recognition. Yeah, it was yeah it was like way way down there for a bit. So like you said, it, it's come back up. Uh, Max pick at, at 101 over the last week. That that's definitely higher than I would take him. But um, you know, I don't think that he should be falling close to pick 200 either, which has also happened in a different um, NFFC draft. So I think he he's like a worthy flyer and um, you know someone to. Um, I, I don't know if I'm like handcuffing him with, with if I'm an Acres guy, um, but mm-hmm. I think that I think that there's just kind of there's more juice to, to Henderson, a guy that you know averaged basically nine yards a carry during his college career over you know a three hundred like almost four hundred carry sample, um, to where it's like you know it can't have all uh, been a fluke. Right. There's a, there again is a re- even though last year went as bad as badly as it did, there's a reason why you talked yourself you know you the general you uh, talked yourself into him the way that you did as a you know a seventh round type of target a year ago like there there is 
there are elements of his game that that warrant that it's just a matter of him like you said picking things up a little bit more and i do expect acres to be um, the main workhorse here but maybe maybe henderson you know settles into somewhat of a fantasy useful role i'm optimistic of that i don't think he'll be a complete wash so i would probably take him over someone like boston scott who's going i don't know like a round or two earlier than him uh, I, I kind of have Duke Johnson, Chase Edmonds, and Daryl Henderson all in the same bucket, and uh, I've been getting more of Edmonds just because he's kind of like the cheapest of them, but I, I, I definitely think people should keep in mind who Daryl Henderson actually is. Like To, to a lot of people, their conception of, of Daryl Henderson only begins in chronology starting last year. Like they, they To them, Daryl Henderson is a guy who has been playing for the Rams for one year, and he's bad, and the Memphis uh, history prior to that doesn't exist but if you do take into account his memphis history you put yourself in a position where you either have to believe that he's got talent of some kind uh, maybe it's not as applicable in the nfl as it was at memphis but you have to admit he is really good at a few things because not just the insane production but he took big workloads ahead of guys like tony pollard and antonio gibson so it's possible that just for no real good reason Daryl Henderson is, is insanely productive at those guys' expense in college and then turns out to be bad in the NFL, while Pollard and Gibson both turn out good in the NFL. But the way I see things, if if Gibson and Pollard are good, it's very likely that Henderson is too. There you go. I think that that's a really good way of framing it in, in that uh, Memphis context. And, and yeah, like Pollard obviously had the had the better rookie year between the two of them. And, and Gibson is a really way better int- intriguing guy. Um, but yeah, d- don't forget that, that Henderson was, you know, get he was eating first uh, before those guys um, at Memphis. Uh, before we move on, Mario, to to uh, the Chiefs uh, portion of this week's podcast, getting into your most recent article about them got a couple messages here from our buddies over at dynasty owner um, and over at FanDraft. so dynasty owner i've been looking for a new challenge which is why i'm playing dynasty owner fantasy football this season dynasty owner fantasy football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise and running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics. Go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. Leagues are forming now. That's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. We've all been in a league where the winner obviously just got lucky. And if you're like me and you know that you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Again, go to DynastyOwner.com slash Rotowire. Validate your fantasy football skills. That's Rotowire. Um, that's DynastyOwner.com slash Rotowire. Dynasty Owner, start your dynasty today and then a message from our friends over at FanDraft: take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board draft season obviously in full swing right now uh, just did some baseball ones this week and obviously football um, is really really heating up as well FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual nfl draft with features such as a streaming ticker live draft draft clock custom logos team walk-up songs love the team walk-up songs component of that you know intimidate your league mates properly <laughs> uh, multiple draft board displays and more fan draft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector onto a large screen tv for the league to enjoy it can also be used fully online and add any number of your league owners can draft remotely we all know that there's one guy that you usually can't make it uh there so we got you covered in that sense uh you can perform both traditional and auction style drafts FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. You can sign up for a free trial at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's FanDraft.com. Use promo code ROTOPOD, R-O-T-O-P-O-D, 15 to save 15 percent all right mario let's get on over uh to your job battles article 
going over this Kansas City Chiefs offense, obviously the one of the more uh, desi- you know desired offenses to get shares of, and obviously the passing game in particular. We know who Tyreek Hill is. We know who Travis Kelsey is. Um, so let's get into this group because it's been tough to parse out um, who that number three target in this offense uh, is going to be. Yeah, and uh, I guess we should do the uh, every time we talk about the Chiefs, we got to do the disclaimer. So uh, this is a Michael Hardman Superfan podcast, Correct. and uh, we are we primarily ex- like we we're we're called a Rotowire Football podcast, and we are that. But primarily, our initial our initial cause was was hyping uh, Michael Hardman, who's just you know, the most important prospect. Uh, but no, we 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 did like him a lot before uh, you know back when people were probably like 60%, 40% arguing that Riley Ridley was better than Michael Hardman and that Michael Hardman was a six-round pick. We were pulling our hair out and screaming about how, no, he's going to go in the second round. You fools, why won't anyone listen? So never, I at least have never really recovered from that, and I, I got to acknowledge my bias uh, <laughs> on the subject. But, um, you know, I've, I've shown some growth, I think, because I, I look at Michael Hardman, 103.56 in the NFFC ADP. That's not so you know, that's not too early. I, I'm, I'm, that's definitely not like the, uh, the ceiling price someone could come up with if they were really ultra optimistic for their me Cole Hardman projection. And yet, John, would you believe I don't have, I don't think I have more than like a couple best ball shares of his and in redraft, mm-hmm. I'm not that eager to draft him, uh, at least at, at the current price, because for instance, in the, in the wide receiver order in the past week, we got, Meikle going after Christian Kirk at 93.28, after Debo Samuel at 97.2. I don't really know what to make of the Debo thing. I'm, I'm trying to just kind of, I guess, keep my hands off of it at this point. But I would take Christian Kirk over Meikle Hardman just because I'm pretty sure Christian Kirk's going to get like 120 targets in 16 games. With Meikle, that's something that might not happen even if Tyreek Hill were off the field. Because Meikle, at least last year, and I think this is something that makes sense for kind of a, a long-term issue for him, he's probably not going to be the kind of guy you can load with targets in the middle of the field sure. and, and in the intermediate area of the field. And then this article I looked at, uh, some of this pro football focus, uh, the, the, the charting of where his targets landed on the field last year, and it was kind of interesting. It pretty much ha- happened downfield and very near the line of scrimmage. There wasn't a whole lot happening in between there. And that makes sense because at 5'11", uh, 5'10", 188, 187, whatever he was, Mikul's naturally just kind of like a skinny sort of receiver. He's sure. not he's not a guy who whoever projects to weigh in over 200 pounds or anything like that. He's, he's not a Jalen Rager or a Debo Samuel or a De- Devin DuVernay or something like that. He's more like the Marquise Brown kind. And as much as we love both of those guys, I personally don't really think of either as like a 100 catch kind of player. I'm thinking more like 80 catch and, you know, they're, they're just murdering you with the downfield. They're, they're getting a lot of touchdowns. They're, they're doing 16 yards of catch, stuff like that. They're, they're having 36 point fantasy games when they score multiple touchdowns, but I don't really see him becoming a, a, a major factor in the middle of the field. And that's especially true if Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are both active because, you know, I, I love me but the Chiefs would be smart to make him a decoy to get those two going sooner than they would to use Tyreek or Kelsey as a decoy to get right. me cold. At least at this point in their respective careers. Like, you know, maybe in a couple of years, Hardman will be a, a well-rounded beast who, who really can carry a passing game. But for now, his appeal is, is more like that Marquise Brown category and without the actual runway that Marquise Brown obviously has in his case in Baltimore. So there's a high risk of week to week volatility with Hardman in his current role with the, with the chiefs offense as it's currently constructed. I don't see that risk with guys like Darius Slayton at 105.72 or Jamison Crowder at 108.61. So I, and I also don't think in those two cases that you're, you're sacrificing that much of the ceiling either, because again, I don't think Hardman's ceiling takes, you know, if you, if you think of something like in a vacuum, the lead receiver on the Pat Mahomes team it's pretty easy to think of things like Tyreek or maybe even more, you know, it's like you, you think of just maybe the number one receiver in the league. I don't think that that's possible in Hardman's case. So I, I feel like if, if you're, 
if you're chasing his, some theory of his upside, it shouldn't be with that particular sort of range in mind. It should be more like he could be, uh, you know, I guess what I'm imagining the season to be like for Will Fuller or somebody like that. Okay. You know, kind of streaky because they got to go so far downfield and they got to create so much after the catch because their target volume is never going to be really, really high. Um, but also, you know, Meikle's a beast, and he's only been playing receiver for three years now. Uh, he only turned 22 in March. He runs that 4-3-3. He put up absurd numbers as a rookie, even though he kind of looked like he didn't even really know what he was doing half the time. So that's a player who's got a lot of potential. You know, he's he's not at his full form, and he's already doing stuff that other guys could only dream of doing. There's this is this is definitely one of those when not if kind of things. I just think that. If you're taking them over guys like Slayton and Crowder, maybe even a guy like you know Jalen Rager or Mike Williams a little lower. It's like I, I just I, I'm taking Meikle and Dynasty, no questions asked, over those kinds of guys. But you know this year, even me, the super fan, I'm, I'm a little concerned that people are maybe underrating Sammy Watkins a little bit, and Watkins is way down at 146.8. So. I don't know what people think that's about. Like, I don't, people seem to think he's just going to retire before the season. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it looks um, like Antonio Brown carries a higher ADP right now than, than Sammy Watkins over the last week. So that seems crazy to me. Um, I want to touch on a couple of these other young receivers who are going in a similar ADP. You, of course, mentioned Kirk and, and, and Slayton. Uh, and you, you mentioned uh, Rager among the rookies too, but uh, what about you know a CD Lamb or a Jerry Judy over over Hardman? I think I could probably talk myself into Judy in redraft because I, I see a clearer lane for targets for him. Uh, Lamb, I think you know, is going to be at best like the third or fourth uh, target in that in that Dallas offense, probably fourth. And you know that's all, that's all well and good. I mean, Dak was you know among the league leaders in, in passing yards a year ago, but. Um, still that, you know, that versus being the second in the packing order, like, like Jerry Judy's going to be like, I probably take Judy, uh, there, um, Hardman, like you said, has like the week to week potential to be, um, you know, the top scoring receiver, but the, the floor is still low and it, you know, it's probably going to be about as low as it was a year ago. I don't, I don't know if it, if the floor is raised too much for him. So he still has those incredibly like dizzying highs. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there are some weeks where if you start Hardman and redraft, you end up with a goose egg or, you know, like two catches for 20 yards where he got, you know, stopped at the line of scrimmage type of thing. Right. So that's, that's kind of the, um, the caution angle that we can mention here. The good, the good news for Hardman's uh, immediate pr- interest is that Demarcus Robinson is pretty bad. Like he's one of the worst receivers in the league and I know Andy Reid likes him. So he's still going to be on the team and he's still going to play some snaps, but there's no good reason for him to play anywhere near as many snaps as he did last year, like 700 plus snaps, uh, getting 55 targets. They should try to get that more like 15 targets, 200 snaps. And funny enough, the, the kinds of snaps that Demarcus Robinson played last year, the kind of routes that he drew targets on perfectly suit Mikol Hardman's tendencies, which is to say they were outside underneath field. Like there wasn't much in the intermediate for Robinson. There wasn't much over the middle for Robinson. And we see in the results last year too, it's, it's in the chief's interest to get this usage tilted toward Hardman at Robinson's expense, because I'm trying to find the, uh, the exact numbers that I had in the, the article here. It looks like um, we, we had, we had Robinson running his his outfield and downfield. Um, sorry, I, I always am, am bad at using the control F in, in my own articles. Um, sorry, uh, I'm going to keep looking for. The, okay, here we go. Thirteen of according to Pro Football Focus, uh, thirteen of Robinson's 55 targets occurred at 20 or more yards downfield. On those 13. He caught seven for 219 yards, so you know just under 50 or just over 50 percent catch rate. Uh, certainly a nice return. 13 targets turning into 219 yards. You will generally take that if offered to you, but do you take that if offered to you when you could instead 
uh, entertain the, the alternative who caught five of seven deep targets for 234 yards. So on, on just more than half of, of those deep target volume of, of Robinson's, Hardman produced still 15 more yards. And it's like that that is nearly twice as good, you know. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not a coincidence. It's not like a fluke in my opinion because the same thing happened underneath. On uh, 29 targets underneath, Robinson caught 21 for 172 yards not bad it's you know it's whatever he caught a lot of them it's it's only like six seven yards a catch but uh or target but whatever you could do worse however hardman could do a lot better or so we probably have reason to believe because his 22 targets seven fewer than robinson he caught 17 of those and produced 196 yards so seven fewer targets on underneath which is to say zero to five yards uh from the line of scrimmage Hardman still produced uh, 24 more yards than Robinson did. So taking those targets from Robinson from last year's scheme and just giving them to Hardman, that's enough to get Hardman's baseline, I think, towards something like 850, 900 yards. And that would probably come with eight or nine touchdowns in this scenario if if he keeps breaking away from the defense like he did last year. And as much as 13.1 yards per target is insane and unsustainable and as much as the uh, whatever nine yards after the catch per catch average isn't sustainable. Hartman still could be uniquely uh, not immune exactly, but like the the, reg- the degree to which regression will occur with him is probably less than it will be with other players. Not just because of the Mahomes factor, but because you know even if you know the the ball's going to to Mecole, you still have to cover Hill and Kelsey more. You still even if they tell you on this play like we're going to Mecole deep, watch this. Even when they tell you that, you can't really listen. You still have to put your extra resources toward Hill and Kelsey. So th- that's how regression normally would get a guy like me, Cole. It's like he makes a big play. The defense learns about it. They adjust. They don't let it happen again. And then he needs to find new ways to make the same play. And then that's kind of how regression gives and takes as, as players make adjustments. Right. You can't adjust to this. It's right. always just going to happen the same way. And, you know, this time last year uh, – I remember List kind of, you know, driving the train of, you know, everyone, everyone saying, you know, Mahomes is going to re- regress X amount, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, he's going to regress, like, you're going to put, like, package him into your regression the same way, like, as if he's like an average player who regresses at the same rate as, as like an average player. Like, no, it's just different. And, you know, Mikol isn't as good at what he does as what Mahomes does as as a quarterback, obviously. But like you said, those elements to to Hardman's game, you can't lump in your average regression with, with that. Like he is going to be a dynamic uh, downfield pass catcher who you know is able to make a lot happen after the catch. And you know the same can be said of like AJ Brown too. You know, oh, he's going to regress so much. It's like, well, he's been just killing people after the catch since like day one at Ole Miss like that's just a part of his game that's that's different and special um that than pretty much everyone else that you can compare it to so yeah maybe maybe like the the regression in the categories like you're saying um with Hardman like the yards after the catch um and so in the yards per target like maybe they regress a little bit but not to the extent to which uh you know like it would be anything like major yeah, he's he's more talented and more qualified than most other players in whatever sample this is, and he he has the easiest job of all of them by far. It's it's just it's kind of like being uh you know in the in the Baltimore offense where you know maybe it, it, they're not a lock to to you know get every play you know completed as a pass or whatever, but when you have to cover first the run threat from from the running back handoff and then the Lamar breaking the pocket threat. By then, the defense has already used some of its resources just to get to this point in the play, and there's there's just there's only so much you have to work with. And, and when you when you already address Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, if you're fortunate enough to stop them on a play, you probably had to use resources that you would have preferred to use to to minimize the Hardman threat. Like there's just no way around it. And as long as Kelsey and Hill are on the field, it'll always be that way. Yeah, exa- exactly. So as long as those guys are out there, uh, yeah, there's only so it's much. It's also worth remembering. Le- yeah, sorry. It's, it's also worth remembering as, as ridiculous as Hardman's numbers were last year in the explosiveness and the efficiency sense. He also had a 64 yard touchdown or something that was overturned against the Raiders by McCoy because LeSean mm. McCoy made a hold that had like nothing to do with the play eight yards away from Mahomes. Uh, that would have been that would have raised his uh, yards per target 
like probably like another yard and a half or something like that. It's like that play is going to be there. That if you want to double me, Cole Hardman, and, and leave Kelsey in single coverage or Hill in single coverage, you know, have a try, see how it goes. But you're you're always going to go back to the situation where you're leaving Hardman a little less covered than you wish you could and it's there's just nothing they can do about it yeah exactly and and that was a game where he did have four catches for 61 and, and a touchdown again it, it could have been more it was like his 25th game playing receiver yeah too, in See, his career yeah so it was week two um I, rem- I remember that very clearly i remember being very uh very mad at Lashawn mccoy which was, which was just kind of a general theme theme for me <laughs> uh last year um any other you know thoughts here on on this um on this Chiefs group of pass catchers, anyone that we need to to keep in mind, maybe looking down a little bit further on this depth chart, some some uh, sleepers for uh, for dynasty or for later for later rounds or you know waiver wire this year. Yeah, uh, so we talk about in this article certainly Demarcus Robinson and Hardman. I tend to look at Robinson this year as a guy who's worthless or or you know someone you put on your Fab watch list, but for draft purposes, I have no interest. That's because, you know, I, I, he was already bad. And people are going to look sometimes at Robinson and look at his yards per target numbers and say, hey, that's pretty good. That's not so bad. If you look at it over the last two years of his career and, and if you extend it to the third year, he has literally had three good games, all of them against the Raiders. And in every other game, if you, if you just remove those three games, he's averaging 5.5 yards per target in a Pat Mahomes offense. Ooh. So he's not good. And, and if anyone has any belief otherwise about him they 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 just are fundamentally wrong so um with that said Andy Reid seems to like him a little bit so it's hard to see Byron Pringle taking that role away from Robinson even though Pringle was more effective as a pass catcher in his limited role last year so I'm looking at Robinson and Pringle and I'm thinking you know probably maybe if Hardman or Hill gets hurt or Watkins certainly um but Watkins uh, also plays more like their slot position or so he did in the regular season so th- there's there's just I don't think there's upside with Robinson, even though he had, you know, that 30 point game against the Raiders last year. I think that was pretty clearly his high points. What's interesting is uh, for the long term, for dynasty purposes, you can probably get any of the four undrafted rookie uh, Chiefs signings at receiver for for free or close to it. And yet Kalijah Lipscomb and Cody White, Maurice French, Andre Bacellia. All those guys seem to be understudies right now for Watkins in that slot receiver position. So Watkins is playing on a one-year deal that, that they restructured to keep him on the team for. And then they go out and, and these guys that they sign after the draft are all slot prospects more than they are downfield prospects. That seems like a pretty deliberate trend there and it's not exactly likely that any of them are starting in the slot position for the Chiefs next year. But if Watkins is gone, it's possible. Even if they spend like a second or third round pick on another receiver, it's possible that if Kalijah Lipscomb or Cody White or Maurice French or Richelia make the team this year, that they still might go into next year ahead of that rookie. So any of these guys could be the starting slot receiver for the Chiefs in 2021. My my favorites of the group are, are Lipscomb, White, and French. I don't really think Bichelia is is that convincing. No. Um, if he is good, it's only in like the uh, – uh, what would you call it? He, he's only like a, like an Adam Humphreys kind of slot specialist. Like he can't go downfield. He can't play outside. It's just not happening. Whereas Maurice French, he's pretty well built. He, and I, he played pretty well at Pittsburgh. I ignored him uh, until recently because I just didn't like DraftKings great because he would like that oh, yes. offense was so goofy. They would just chuck the ball at him like 15 times a game. is awesome. So I'm a, I'm yeah, a French guy. And like I read in the article, he he outplayed the Pittsburgh baseline, even though he also was their leading volume guy. So he's a long shot. They only gave him a twenty five hundred dollars signing bonus. So it's the odds are not in his favor, to be clear. But he's already been pretty good. And, you know, depending on what happens with training camp and depending on what happens with their practice squad, as many as three of these guys could stick with the team. Like one of these guys or maybe two, I guess, could make the active roster. And even one of the guys who gets cut could be on the practice squad. So I wouldn't be shocked if Lipscomb and White make the team and then French is on the practice squad. And, you know, anything can happen in the future if they keep attaching, if they if they keep riding Pat Mahomes' coattails. Uh, any of those guys could do something. But, yeah, Kalaja Lipscomb is interesting because he was a really good four-year player at Vanderbilt. He was their wide receiver one the last two years. Yep. He outplayed the baseline pretty consistently. 
but he's only six foot two oh seven, which is a solid build. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he only ran a four five seven forty, uh, thirty two inch vertical. So he doesn't profile well for separating outside. He does have the kind of frame though to project for contact over the middle. So you you don't want a guy like Dee, in my opinion anyway, you don't want a guy like Dee Westbrook who's like 5'11", 175, running over the middle trying to you know catch a pass in between the zone coverage of the weak side linebacker and, and then one of the safeties and you know assume it all will turn out well because he's he's not that kind of player isn't dense they're not made to take hits but six foot two oh seven. With, with a polished skill set over the middle of the field. Certainly, Lipscomb had to make his fair share of catches in traffic with how bad, especially Riley Neal, was at quarterback. It's like, yep. Riley Neal was so bad that it's like Kyle Shermer looks like a god in comparison. It's that crazy. Correct. Riley Neal, oh my god, he's so bad. Um, so yeah, Lipscomb is, is used to and is built for going into the, the kind of dangerous part of the field and playing well there. Like he, he thrived doing it. So... He's interesting, even though he's undrafted. Cody White was a guy that I, I actually have to admit I screwed up. I, I totally missed him yeah, when, when scouting. Bad. No, he's he's his con, uh, his production is pretty convincing actually. Like he really did impressive stuff, and I I think I convinced myself that he's sort of like eighty five percent, ninety percent of Kelvin Harmon as a prospect. And in hindsight, Harmon probably should have been like a I don't know late fourth, mid fourth kind of pick instead of the sixth rounder that he was. And so I think. If White had been taken in the late fourth or the fifth round, in hindsight, that would have been a totally fine pick. So, yeah, getting him undrafted, nice nice uh, outcome for the Chiefs, I think. But he's the biggest one. He's 6'3", 217. Uh, he doesn't have much athleticism. He's probably the least athletic of these four players, actually. But when you're big, when you're that big and when you're as young as he is, you know, it's like it's possible he would have tested a little better at the Combine a year from now than he did uh, back in February. But it has to be said, Cody White's athleticism does not grade very well, 46640, uh, 35-inch vertical. At the same time, it's that's worlds better than something like, you know, a Geronimo Allison kind of player. That's 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 kind of like the worst-case scenario I'm imagining for Cody White. Uh, I think it'll be quite a bit better, though. And it's just one of those things, like, as much as I don't see the obvious reason why in the tape, like, I don't know why he keeps making these plays – he keeps doing it and no one else can on his team. And he's he's got the bullseye on him because he's carrying the volume of the Michigan State passing game. And yet he still is just outproducing all of his teammates in terms of efficiency. It's like even with the defense focusing on him, the wide receiver two can't make a play. They still have to go to white. He still makes plays better with this extra attention than these guys do with no attention at all. So it could just be that the Michigan State receivers were insanely bad. But I do think Daryl Stewart was a little bit. Wasn't Daryl Stewart invited to the combine too? Like it's he's he's not a he's not exactly just XFL at best kind of prospect. Like I don't have any interest for fantasy purposes, but if Daryl Stewart is that the name of the guy? Yeah, is a DJ. Okay, um, yeah, the, the other Michigan State receiver. It's like he was clearly outplayed by Cody White. So on the off chance that Stewart sticks around for a little bit, then White almost has to be NFL viable. So th- there's there's a couple. Like those are probably my my two favorites to 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 make this you know narrow path of of twenty twenty one fantasy relevance happen, but uh, they both. I mean, if Watkins isn't there, it's like I just don't see any reason why these guys would would embarrass themselves at least based on past uh, prospect precedent. That, yep, and you, know, you, get, they, you get to catch sorry. passes from Mahomes too, so it can't can't be all right. bad. Just it's just a matter of getting yourself on the field once if and when uh, Watkins and the Chiefs part ways. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're in a dynasty league and it's especially if it's a deep league and you got a spare roster spot and I don't know, it's like I'd rather have Lipscomb or White on my roster than Russell Gage or something. You know, it's like maybe they're probably going to be a zero. Yes, but they could be quite a bit more than that. And, you know, maybe I could I could flip some useless prospect that I have on my bench for some trivial gain somewhere else and then just just use this other remaining roster spot on a lottery ticket like Lipscomb or White because you know they already produce really well in bad circumstances and now they're they're going into hopefully the Mahomes offense yeah exactly so that that was a, a good deep dive I think that uh yeah you you unearthed some things about um even Cody White that I, I was previously unfamiliar with but yeah the it's a 
you know, a group of guys that like you characterized are, are lottery tickets, but you know, ones to, uh, you know, they have some convincing, uh, stuff to them, especially if, if a path gets opened up with, uh, with Watkins potentially leaving, um, after the coming season, uh, that's going to wrap things up for today's show. Um, important announcement, programming announcement for you, our dear listener, um, starting next week, we are going to have daily Rotowire NFL podcast. So we football officially uh, back in full swing. So our schedule as follows: uh, Mondays you're going to get Jeff and Liss uh, must listen, of course. Um, Tuesdays is going to be Joe Bartle and Jake Latarski. Wednesdays Jeff Erickson's going to have an industry guest on. Thursdays Mario and I still holding it down, so that that's not going any, anywhere for your Thursday programming goodness. And then for Fridays uh, it'll be a more of a DFS centric show uh, with Andrew. Lee and Scott Genstad. So really, really nice, uh, strong uh, podcast lineup that we're going to have rolling out uh, starting next week. Uh, But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner and by Fandraft. helps you sell at every stage of your business like that let's put it online and see what happens stage and the site is live that we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage thanks you're all set that count it up and ship it around the globe stage this one's going to thailand and that wait did we just hit a million orders stage whatever your stage businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for your one dollar a month trial at shopify.com listen